hot sauces and the South in our in our circle. Let's let's chat about that. You you sent me a message er, earlier alluding to the hot ones, I believe, is what you I, said. Are you familiar with this at all? Are you familiar with this YouTube channel? I am not familiar with this, and it was also very early in the morning, pre-coffee, so um, <laughs> I was like, very Stop confused. texting me! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, what are, are you doing? Back? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, so... Hot Ones is a fairly popular YouTube channel. It's hosted by Sean Evans. And what he does is he interviews a, a particular celebrity. So just, just to kind of give you an idea, like he's interviewed Little Nas X, Daniel Radcliffe, Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Alba. So these, we're not talking about totally unfamiliar folks here, right? This is a, a really popular, he's had Gordon Ramsay on, right? If we're, if we're talking about food here. And what they do is they start across a range or a, a series of hot sauces. So think of it as kind of like an advertisement for this hot sauce company, but it's a really clever one at that. And they start at the very beginning at the lowest heat scale that they've got for hot sauces, <laughs> for hot sauces. And they work their way up to the hottest, hottest bottle of hot sauce that they have. And when I say they work their way up, I mean like you've got 10 chicken wings, 10 bottles of hot sauce, and each chicken wing has been somewhat coated, if you will, in the hot sauce in that particular position. And and as they take a bite, that's when the interview begins and he asks questions. And then when they finish answering a particular question, they move on to the next wing. And as you can imagine, they progress through these chicken wings and it gets progressively hotter. So what it does is it ends up loosening up the person that he's interviewing because they're also really fucking distracted with watery eyes and nose and getting this shit on their fingers and then accidentally rubbing their face and you know the lips kind of puffing out a little bit as it gets really warm and you know there's glasses of milk and whatever else is requested uh, by the person being interviewed and it's just it's really it's it's interesting because it loosens them up it gets them into this sort of place of personal vulnerability because you have to imagine that as an actor you know your appearance your personal brand is everything so to be in a position where you've got snot running down your nose and tears coming out of your eyes and you're distracted on how you're going to answer some of these questions so the questions aren't like super personal but they are really i mean it the show's popular amongst those who come to visit it because he asks really good questions. He, they do kind of deep dive. There's a number of times that the guests that are being that are being that have, the celebrities that have questions thrown at them, they'll come back and go, "How did you know that?" You know, and it's not like anything bad. It's just like when you were in seventh grade and you did, you played this, this role in this play. Did you ever think that you would come to this position there and they're like, where the hell did you dig that up from? <laughs> they're usually delighted that somebody gives a damn enough to actually do some background research. Uh, so it's a really good show. But the core of it there is that they're, they're eating hot sauce or they're eating chicken wings that progress through 10 hot sauces right up to uh, one that's uses an experimental pepper that's supposedly rated higher than currently uh, the hottest pepper on the market, which is which is the, the Carolina Reaper, which is rated at 1.4 million uh, Scoville heat units. 
so just to give you an idea, you know, some of these, some of these, the names on these are pretty awesome. Like Evolution, Scorpion, Disco, Last Dab, Apollo, the original Goat. A pretty interesting lineup of bottles. So, so I was thinking, as my my Grove, my apprentices are moving through the quarters, and we're exploring the elements and and you know you know vegetation and and color and and a, really a range full range of visceral symbols just to really impress upon them the aspects of that quarter what if what if we did this challenge and and that's that's exactly what we did i ordered i ordered this this season's lineup of 10 hot sauces and uh, yeah that's what we did last night well, so how did it go? What sort of questions did you ask? Who nah. who failed at being able to eat the hot hotter hot sauces? Uh, all right. So a, a little bit differently is that we turned it into a challenge. And first off, everybody, as we're going through the quarters, right now we're focused on the pepper, and 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 I frankly believe the pepper is probably one of arguably one of the best vegetal symbols of the South that you can go to. The color red, I mean, granted, there are peppers that are green, they're yellow, but red is very predominant. The fact that when you eat it, it makes you feel hot. You you get this increased m metabolic response. You, you feel the burn. You start to sweat. Like, you're really experiencing this call to action, and that call to action is, where's my damn milk? So it's a great experience for, for communicating to somebody what the South is meant to inspire or how it's kind of meant to affect you, but in the most visceral and dramatic way. So it, we, we had a number of, of topics. We divided the topics out amongst the apprentices, and their goal was to, to go out and research it. First off, find articles that spoke to that particular topic. So a topic being like, how is it used in food? How has it been used historically through medicine? What's some lore behind the pepper? How might that relate to to it being an aphrodisiac? Because the South is the place of the heart and the heart beating faster and those those physical feelings of sort of lust and passion that rise up. And there's a lot of heat and there's a lot of little there's a lot of sweat and you know a lot of action, a lot of call to action, if you will, going on. And uh, and then they went out and found these articles and came back. And the next thing was okay. Now I want you to come up with five questions that you're going to know that everyone else has to research. And and then it, it, it basically we came up with 20 questions. It, it turned into kind of a, like a, like a trivial game. A trivia. Let's try this again. Not trivial. It was not trivial. It was trivia. It was a trivia game. And the gist here was like, let's say that you and I are amongst the players. If it's my turn, I'm going to pull out a random question. And I'm going to choose someone in the group whom I hope won't be able to answer this question to my satisfaction. And then I'll choose that person and I'll read the question. And if they get it right within a reasonable amount of, of accuracy, then I have to have a piece of chicken starting from the lowest. 
if they don't get it right, then they have to eat the chicken. So it's literally like a one-on-one, and I'm choosing who I think won't be able to answer that question. And the goal here is to motivate everyone to become as informed about the answers to these questions as they possibly can so that they won't have to eat as many. And hopefully by the time we finish the questions, the person who has the least number of bites of chicken is the winner. And we did just that, and it was a tie. Like, we all got to seven before we ran out of questions. That's pretty cool. Uh, so... And it was, it was fun because, like, there's challenge. Like, occasionally, like, because you can go to websites and find different answers. I'm sorry, what were we going to ask? Oh, I just, uh, how did people feel about the, the level of heat <laughs> up at seven? Well, and the thing is, is that we got to seven. But we all agreed to keep asking questions and go around the circle and give answers, you know, and they could have been about anything, really. And it wasn't even a test at this point. It was more like a let's chat about a a topic and then toast with the next level of heat. (laughs) So we'd all get the toothpick in the cup, get the little piece of chicken, you know, basically everybody would go three, two, one and then pop it in their mouth. And then we would respond. Everyone who was playing had their own pint of ice cream and a big cup of milk, just in case. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a lot that. of, oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, super help. My God. Yeah. Super helpful. But it was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot. Uh, I mean, I didn't come to this knowing everything there was to know about peppers. Um, what I came to it was hoping to have something to pull me in to that, 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 that vegetable or, or really, you know, I mean, it, it to really pulled me into the subject matter, to really pull me into that and to kind of also inspire my connection with the South as well. But I, I didn't know what to expect because I don't do spice. I don't do heat on my food very much. So I, I, I this is not something I would have ever considered outside of inflicting this on others <laughs> and then and then going along for the ride. Right. I think it's a little appropriate that you got to play along on this one as well. Oh, and I've, I've told them, like, I would never put my apprentices through something that I hadn't gone through or that I wasn't willing to go through with them. Of course, because you're a good yeah. teacher. So, you know, we were all in it together. And at the end of the day, like, we all made it to 10. And 10 is hot. Like, 10 is 10's really hot. <laughs> you're going to spend a good five or 10 minutes just, you know, basically letting ice cream sit inside of your mouth and slowly melt. I'm a little impressed that you are sitting here in front of me this morning and you're looking so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. After that, I slept like a baby. You know, it's it's just it causes, you know, you're sweating and your eyes are kind of and, it, you know, it, it, your metabolism jumps. But, man, when you're done, it's like it just it just knocks you out. So, yeah. So that was the experience. We had a really good time and and integrating that. That kind of test and that visceral experience into the learning of the South was, I would say, super cool, but it was more super hot. But but it was fun. And it's one of those things where in this day and age, you know, there's 50, 60 years ago, more dramatic. It, it, how can I put it? You could do a lot of uncomfortable things to a person without maybe as much concern about how they might take it afterwards. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but something like this where we can all go through it 
and and it can be uncomfortable and it can press your limits. And you can opt out at any time, of course. It's it's a nice almost sort of mini initiatory kind of experience, you know, where it really kind of puts a mark. It's something you're proud about. You know, a number of people were kind of like, Are we graduating from the South tonight? I'm I'm like, no, you're graduating <laughs> from peppers. <laughs> because it had that sort of feel of sort of being extreme, right? Or, or a test of a sort. And I, I love that. I almost wish I had sort of saved it as the test experience. But the thing here is that when I do the tests in the South, it's not, it's, it's usually very, it's very one-on-one. And when I thought about it, I was like, I don't want to do this four times. Personally, <laughs> they do it once. I don't want to do it four times in a night. No. Well, it yes. seems like it was almost a good like team activity in that sense too, and that you were all in it together and, you know, pushing through those boundaries together. I think that actually sounds like a much more powerful experience than just trying to do it, you know, one-on-one. Yeah. I mean, level. yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable, but no one's going to get hurt. Or not, they'll get uncomfortable. They're not going to get hurt. It will pass. I think some people might actually prefer to get to get flogged than eat hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> but at the, at the end of the day, though, it's not something that somebody can can feel abused about. I guess is the gist that, that I don't feel like there's risk of of a person who who might have had some past trauma feeling as though. Or, or, or having sort of a flashback, if you will, to uh, a traumatic experience wherein they were abused in some way. And I'll be honest with you, that's that's something that I've not personally done, but that I've been in a circle wherein it was taken that way. And the person who was involved in, say, it was an initiation where there was a flogging, and it was not even a hard flogging at that, mind you. Uh, but the last one had a little bit of a snap. And, you know, it was, but, but at, it was taken in such a way that that the person after the fact really had a problem with it. And it's something that I've struggled with. Like, how do you make a momentary impression on someone's life to say, there's a door here and you're walking through it and you're slamming the door behind you. Like that there has to be a a system shock because we remember the things that hurt us and please us. And most nearly everything else in between is, uh, is fleeting. And that's the point behind an initiation is to create a a meaningful shock to the system wherein you feel different having walked through that door. But how do you do that in a way that doesn't risk that person feeling abused or taken advantage of? I think that's something that the, the pagan community, the Wiccan community, especially in the sense is really having to struggle with these days. Yeah. You know, we, we can't function the way we did in the 70s and the 80s with some of this stuff. The world has changed. Views have changed. People are not willing to subject themselves, right, to that sort of trauma that does come across as abuse, you know, I mean, I mean the, the line between, the line between uh, let's just call it like a circle hazing, if you will, in order to build immediate bond with everyone else who's gone through it, you know, a group of people that go through the same stressful experience it creates an immediate camaraderie like there are benefits however it 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 it, in this day and age you know there needs to be serious concern about that sort of thing because before 
a person who goes through it that might experience it might not talk about it, might not admit it. They might definitely feel it, but it, it adds to that that psychological, that detrimental psychological condition inadvertently. And these days, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about this and admit it and, and deal with it. And as we are, what we're recognizing is that some of these really dramatic effects, particularly through certain initiations, can have a traumatic effect on people who've been through abuse in the past. Uh, and it's a bit like, you know, when we've talked about sexuality in Circle, how, you know, the fivefold kiss, the great right, working sky clad, you know, in the past, this was normal for a number of traditions. And to a le- greater or lesser extent, depending on the tradition, depending on the leadership there. But this day and age, there's a, a greater sensitivity to these sorts of things and and the high potential for it to be perceived as sexual abuse. Like, I don't want somebody to feel like they're being abused, but also... I don't want to be perceived as a ritual abuser. Like that I'm trying I want to be very sensitive to the fact that I don't want somebody leaving my group less powerful, less empowered than when they came. Well, I think that's a really great way of putting it, right? These these experiences do have purpose to them as you've already discussed, but how do you do that in a in a way that helps? I, that's you know, that's I think for me the point is the experience is supposed to help take someone to the next level or to teach a a lesson or to have value to the training. It's not supposed to stop it by someone who's so traumatized by it that then they can't get past it, which is, I think, what happens, right? Because when you hit that level of, well, that wasn't just a shock, that was abuse, that shuts everything down. You've lost trust with the student. And how are they going to progress past then that traumatizing experience, which in their head was traumatizing and didn't actually open the doorway that you were hoping it would open? You know, and I I think the conversation around this has really changed in the last 15 years. When I came into the pagan community, you know, we never would have had this conversation. It was just, you know, this is what's going to happen and this is what you're going to go through. And I've heard a lot of people. And and you're either going to do it. Or you should leave. Right. Because we all do it. Because we all, all going do it, through it. And we're all and that's, and that's, to do it. And that's what that's a part of what connects everyone. Because as you move through as you move through the system, through the degrees, if there are exceptions, then there isn't that feeling of camaraderie. There isn't that feeling of legitimacy for a person having walked through that door. Well, and having um, having gone through all of my own initiations, um, you know, I I as the person going through that doorway, right? Ha- I have been very lucky in having people who facilitated amazing initiatory experiences. And when I when it was my turn, right, to turn around and do this for other people, you know, I had that in my head about what they had done to make that experience better for me and safer for Mm -hmm. me and not traumatic for me, even while having that shocking experience, you know, so that was always something I tried to keep in mind that, you know, those moments are super scary, right? (laughs) Like, and they're meant to be, they're supposed to be to a certain extent, but then there are things you can do to facilitate getting your students through them in a way that lets them fully experience it with like that sense of wonder and like excitement and hope almost. 
for what comes next because i think you know that's the point it's like okay it's, you've hit this level you've hit this this point where you need to transition to the next thing but you have to go through this to get to that next thing but it should be you should be excited right about that next thing you shouldn't like sort of hit a wall <laughs> in that moment and go oh that was horrible <laughs> that was terrible right. I'm done, you know, and I think that's happened to a lot of people over the years. I've heard a lot of people see their original initiatory experience as a sort of rate. And that's the yeah. word that has been used. And I always, I, you know, I'm young enough, I'm lucky enough and I'm, I'm young enough that when I came into all of this, I had access to the internet, right? And a lot of our, our older practitioners certainly did not. So as a very, very new pagan, you know, I read so much online. And this is, I think, one of the, the powers of, you know, the online presence of the pagan community, even though I, I think there are also a lot of issues with that. But, you know, I read about a lot of people's experiences in these moments. And as a teacher, I've tried to make sure that my students always know <laughs> what they're walking into, even if right. they don't know the fine details, because, you know, that's part <laughs> of the point of initiation. I want to make sure they understand the, the trials they're going to face, the expectations, the things that we're going to do, because I never want someone to walk through that and come out with that idea in their head that that's what just happened to them. What What do you tell them and, and what do you hold back in order to, if you will, not give any spoilers away to the experience? Well, you know, there there is a certain tool that, that sits on my altar that is used. In initiation, scourge? yeah, it's the scourge, and there there is a lot of conversation around that tool and about when it's appropriate to use, why it's used, why it sits on the altar. In my tradition, we have a story about someone who said, "I'm not going to have this on my altar. I don't mm -hmm. want this tool to be used anymore. I mm -hmm. see it as a tool of abuse." And then we talk about why it came back to the altar. <laughs> Because there, there was a reason for it to be on the altar where it is. Um, we also very much make sure, you know, to take each student's individual circumstances into consideration. For us, we have outer court degrees. It's, it's a road to first degree initiation in, in my circle, which, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, old school, you know, special, especially with Gardnerian Wicca, like you, you couldn't learn anything. <laughs> until you went through first degree initiation. And, you know, so our thought process is, is you're, you're not ready for first degree initiation on the first day. And we, again, want to make sure that there's a certain level of training and discussion and thought and practice that goes into not just the experience, but literally asking someone to make the sort of oaths that you make in initiation, right? Like, I can't expect someone who's never studied any of this stuff to walk in and make some of those promises, right? Or think about what we're asking them to think about in that moment. Um, so I, you know, I am really enjoying watching you create your circle because, you know, I have worked within a very established tradition for, for a good majority of my life. And, you know, I use the lessons from prior teachers. You know, I, I used sort of the, the set lessons of how I was taught, right? You know, I teach things the way I was taught them. I, I think I have my own individual flair and my own thought patterns and blah, blah, all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, I was 
taught these things a certain way and that is how I teach them, which is part of the point of a formal training. But for you, you know, you're 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 finding these new <laughs> things to do that I Yeah, I, I've crumpled up 30 years, thrown all that shit out and was like, fuck it, we're starting from scratch. Yeah. We're working from the ground up. We're just at literally deconstructing everything to give it a reason and a purpose. And you know what I'm finding is that a, a lot of these things do have reason, do have purpose. When I first kind of, you know, came back from a sort of personal spiritual journey and transformation over 30 years of practice, and I and I reapproached this path, and I was like, you know what, let's just question everything. And let's toss out what doesn't make sense. And let's include what has a rich amount of reasoning and and spiritual significance and adds purpose to my circle. And what I found is that there is a reason to the madness. There's a method to the traditional madness. There's a reason why East is traditionally in I'm sorry, air is traditionally uh, resident in the east and fire is in the south. And that, like there's a, a huge series of nested symbols that just works with the narrative. The problem that I have found in a lot of the books is that when you go to a bookstore, what's published appeals to the widest majority. They're all basic. They're all short. Few of them deep dive. Right. I and mean, I get it. No, no company wants to publish a book about gemstones that only talks deeply about five of them. <laughs> they want to pack that book with hundreds and they're like, just put in associations. They'll never question it. Just do it. This equals that and that. And I, and I found it to be very purposeful, and I've also found that that a lot of the associations now that I'm questioning, many are true, but with caveats, and then some are just straight up false and just don't make any sense. Well, and uh, I, I, at any level, I think the other thing too that we've both been finding as we've been doing this particular podcast is also the you know we we've had the answers to questions for a long time. But then you start digging deeper and it's the why, right? And we're like, oh, do we actually know the why? Has anyone ever asked us, you know, why? It's not in the books. It's not in the books. It's very frequently all we get is associations. And case in point, I'm I'm looking at a book behind me. And I don't want to give the title because I don't think the book as a whole is bad. But when I opened up and looked at these tables of attributes, for example, and I saw that sunflower was associated with the South and with fire. The top of my head just fucking exploded. <laughs> I was like, wrong! I have so much reason for why this is just wrong. And all it was was sunflower South. And I was like, how? Why? Why would you do? Why would you only give first off one flipping word as an association for this? And just assume the whole world. And then I was kind of, I've got so many reasons why that is not the case now. Uh, and, and, and when you ask that why question and you really dig into the lore and into what we know as far as medicinal properties is concerned and the behavior of things and, and the, the symbolic communication to, to, to how we respond to it, sometimes without us even knowing it, it, it really helps to flesh out the 
with the truth of it without having to take some book's word that that this equals that. And I was just so tired of seeing so many books that that just took the shortcut of doing that in order to pump in as many subjects as possible. And again, I'm a librarian. That is that is my profession. I'm an academic librarian. I live by books. I love books. My home is filled with them. My workplace is filled with them. It there there is never a day that I don't pick up a book. But this is one area of my life and a very important area of my life, right? Where I always tell people books are not usually the place to go for these reasons. And you or or if it is, don't go to one. Don't go to one. You have to have there has to be a level of curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you you read it in one, you know, what what does the next book say about it? You know, like or more importantly, like you, you, sure, you might read it in a in a in a book that, that that's overall arching theme is pagan or Wiccan or, or or speaks to that, but then go to something that isn't. Yeah. On that topic, topic, pick up a medical journal, do some research on on experiments that have been done with this thing. Go and search for historic lore where it's mentioned. Explore the things around it. You know, if something is made of a wood. Don't talk about the thing made of that wood. Go to the wood itself. Then start looking up, you know, where does the wood grow? You know, under what conditions? And all of a sudden what happens is you start to see this network, this web of connections that all start to sort of path back. And it's either going to justify attributes or it's going to disqualify attributes. And the reason why that's impop- the reason why that's important is because when you use these tools, you're speaking about, you're talking about symbols and they're symbols either that you understand through learning that you've accepted, that your mind's like, I'm a-okay with that, or they're symbols that have a subconscious trigger emotionally and even sometimes physically, a feel, if you will. And not knowing how these symbols affect you can have contrary reactions, responses, if you try to use it in a particular direction. If your t- intent, if your intent is to go north on a freeway and you get on the freeway and you decide to go south without knowing it, it's going to put you very far from where you want to be. It'll put you in the absolute, absolute opposite direction. Even a slight divergence over a long <laughs> period of time is going to put you very far from where you want to be down the road. So it's good to have like a true bearing. That's the reason why I think sussing out the why so that you know, what is it that you know? What is it that you feel? What is it that's been used in your environment and uh, even in you know marketing and in, in the, the manufactured world of humans that, that you just recognize and that, that has constructed a feeling about this thing? And we can talk about the most basic stuff like circles or more complicated things like colors or particular shapes or, you know, or again, even vegetables. Like we have the apple being a perfect example. When I throw up apple, the symbols associated with an apple are are really narrowed down. Like there's a, a number of things, but a, it's really narrowed down. It's home for those that live in the U.S. It feels very American. The foods that we've eaten and when we eat them, you know, like apple pie during Thanksgiving, when you're, you know, around the table with the family, the smell of cinnamon, like there are tons of feeling associations through experience and culture 
that that are nested in the back of your head that if you don't go and you ask the why then you don't know if the symbols you're using are in alignment with the intent that you have when you're trying to accomplish something well and this this goes back ultimately to i think an idea that we sort of started out with you know many podcasts go which is this is this is not a place where you're going to be spoon-fed information and you can't expect to just be spoon-fed information this is a realm of, of spirituality where you are a seeker and you need to have that drive to to seek and you know not just take the word of one person but again curiosity to have that curiosity to have that need to actually go out and find other resources for this information and then integrate that into your life in a way that works for you not right. necessarily how it works for someone else, but how it works for you. You know, you need to live a magical life in that sense, in a way that actually works for you. You can't do this for other people in that sense. It's fun to do it with other people. There are people that I work with very closely, but ultimately at the end of the day, it has to work for your life, for you to function the way you want to function. Right, right. And it really requires, and and that's, and again, that's part of this this path, right? This is that's part of, you know, me sort of walking with, and not leading sometimes, but walking with others to uh, discover themselves, and and me being inspired to provoke it from them also provokes it within myself, so I get to learn along the way as well. I mean, it's a practice, right? Any doctor that you go to in a hospital. He's a part of a practice, and it's because they practice medicine. They don't perfect it. <laughs> they're not per they're not they're not perfect at it. They're constantly practicing it. Well, and it's a very scary thing to think that even a doctor of thirty years is still practicing on you. <laughs> well, it's it's like you were saying earlier with doing this particular hot sauce challenge with your students. You know, when I walk my students through the different challenges that my teaching has, I generally do them again myself. And I've found yeah. that every time I do them, even though, you know, technically I'm way past, you know, this point where I need to learn that particular lesson, I get something mm -hmm. new out of it every time. And, you know, it's kind of, it almost feels like leveling up. It's like, okay, the first time I did this, I learned this. The second mm -hmm. time I, I did this, I saw this new thing. Third yeah. time, here's something else entirely new that blew my mind. You know, these little basic, almost simple, you know, challenges, if a challenge can be simple, but they are yeah. at, at that level, right, can keep teaching us. And when my students take third degree, I always tell them that this is like getting your PhD. This is not a, you now know everything, you're the supreme priest or priestess. This is simply, you now have the tools and the knowledge to keep learning and to add your own ideas to this practice that we're doing and take it to the next level. And I think that's, you know, that's ultimately what you're supposed to be doing is seeing, you know, even if you hit that point, you know, and, and we all go through these cycles, right? Like where, you know, this particular practice may not be the main focus of our lives. I've certainly had a couple of years now where I've taken a bit of a break in that sense. And I, I had to focus on my career for a while. But that doesn't mean that you stop learning or you're stagnant, you know? <laughs> you're building a lot of experiences when you're when you're cognizant of the fact that your environment is filled with these functional symbols, 
you view the world differently. You you don't have to practice it. That's part of living it. Like, I mean, I don't say you don't have to practice it. Let me put it this way. Your your magical life doesn't exist within circle. Circle might be the place that you go to work on it, but your daily life is where you experience it. And working through either a formal tradition or a, a formal, at least a formal process is is a means to learning a method. And it is a method about how to view the environment and how to question your environment and how to question yourself. And then eventually how to kind of bring that shit together and construct something. We'll call that a spell, a period of time in which you're focused at doing something. Uh, you will create sort of a spell that you now know as sort of this, this functional multi-level tool. It's, it's really like a craftsman building one's own tool in order to, to make the process of going through life a little bit easier or crafting your life a little bit easier. I always take it as a really huge compliment when another practitioner walks into my home and says, you have such peaceful space. You know, so for me, it really is about the, those basic everyday. It's like, yeah, you're not here when the cat's yakking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or, or glaring evilly at me. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, no, not on the carpet. But, um, but yeah, no. So, I, you know, I, I hope that, you know, I have integrated these things into my life to create balance for myself and then maybe bring that to the people who are around me. But I think that takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of inner work and again mm -hmm. a lot of your own willingness to seek that out yeah yeah I, I i totally agree i think and and one of the things that i particularly like about the flexibility of exploring the path the constraints of feeling like i have to adhere to a specific tradition because in my mind you know part of the usefulness of being of a specific tradition is that you're allowed to then take the teachings of that tradition and teach it to somebody else. And when it's all said and done, they learned it the way you learned it, the way the person that taught you learned it, and thus they can claim it. They're part of a larger group who's been through the same learning profile, the same set of experiences. And the, the degree system is respected within a, that formal tradition. If you say you're a high priest of a given tradition, a person in that tradition knows what that means has a level of respect and appreciation for what a person had to go through to get to that level of, of to get to that tier, right? But if you're not, if you're really just building it from scratch, just starting over, starting from the bottom, questioning everything, the advantage that I've found is that in any given circle, I'm going to change something. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm exploring, I, you know, cakes and ale, you know, uh, one time, one day I might go and I might offer it to each individual. The next day I might just give it to everyone and then, and then say, may you never thirst save for the wisdom of life. And then everyone else, I have everyone else say, you know, may you never thirst like a cheers and then throw it back that I have the ability to change the format in small ways and experiment with how I feel, uh, how I feel that I responded to that. Did I feel like that was better? Did that jive? I, yeah, I like the way that format worked. It cut down some time. It reduced some redundancy. Uh, or it was more impactful. And I can also evaluate how everyone else responded to that. And if I like it, I keep it. And if I don't like it, I shift it. And 
I'll do that with my circle. Like every circle, I have small changes to see if I can get it to just tweak it, to, to finesse it and, and finesse the response of those that are within it. And I kind of take a personal note and I'm, I'm crafting and sort of shaping what I feel is, is uh, eventually a personal tradition that I get the most out of it. But at least I have, to a degree, the freedom to do that on a circle-by-circle -circle basis. So again, there are advantages and disadvantages to, to both. But those are what I feel like some of the strongest advantages that I've run across so far of not adhering to a particular tradition well, or the tradition that I came up through. I, I am at that point, too, where I'm learning to let go of some of those things, right? Those things that as a very young person, I thought were so necessary. Um, you know, you've been really helpful in a lot of that. And just me watching you do some of this, right? And, and sometimes I just have to sit back and go, you know what, that's not really the important point of that. Like, who cares, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, that's sort of where I, I'm at in this process. I'm not particularly ready to, to totally deconstruct everything and then go through what you're going through. Maybe I'll get there eventually. Plenty of episodes. Plenty, plenty, of, plenty episodes of episodes, more. who knows? I'm not currently teaching anyone. I don't particularly have that that emotional space to do that because it is a lot of emotional work. And, you know, a word that we didn't use earlier while we were talking about it that I think is important too is empathy, right? And mm -hmm. empathy for what your students are going through and remembering what you went through and being able to be empathetic to those experiences and not do Depending that. Depending on how bad the experience is, sympathy. <laughs> right. Right. And not having that, that, like, I think where the pagan community runs into a lot of issues is people who enjoy inflicting a certain amount of that hazing, I think is the word you use, which is a good word. You know, it's like, well, I went through this, so now you get to go through this. And there's no real thought of why you're going through this. So having empathy, right, and understanding that these experiences are scary, possibly painful, depending on what's going on, you know, and, and caring about the person you're working with enough to really walk them through it in a helpful manner. And, you know, so I'm at a point in my life where I, I don't have that mental, emotional energy to give to someone else. And so I am not teaching right now. I, you know, I'm sure that someday I will again. <laughs> I look forward to having the space in my life to do that. Right now, like there, there's more than just the the mental and the emotional. Well, no, you could fit twelve in a circle in your apartment, right? <laughs> but I literally live in a studio apartment in Manhattan, so space, literal, actual space, is an issue. So now. three people in a hula hoop, got it? <laughs> so are there ways around that? Of course, you know. And again, if I had that mental emotional space to figure those ways out, I could do that. I don't, and so I'm giving myself that space that I need to follow my own path for a minute before I go back to teaching other people. And I think that's a, another sort of misconception though. Oh, well, you know, you, you are now, you know, a high priest or priestess, you've gone through these initiations. Well, you have to teach people. You have to be that sort of figure. You have to do these things and no, you don't. No, no, <laughs> you absolutely no, it's do a not. Method. It's you're learning a method of how to, to live and interact and hopefully better yourself in the world. It does not require passing it on. Although I will, I will, I truly do believe, even if you're like, you know, schooling people in an online forum, like it doesn't have to be in person, although, you know, in person is super helpful. There's a lot of experiences that just can't simply be done on online. 
but that one of the best methods I've found to continue my learning is to to provoke others in learning. And it, it again, it helps take me there. But you don't have to do that. I mean, you might be trained to be able to do that. But that's just not the path for everyone. Some people aren't good instructors. Some people, that's just not their thing. And that's okay. It's really just about living it and providing yourself with the tools to, to, you know, see the world differently. And I'm not even, I'm not even else necessarily saying see it better than everyone else, but see it at least differently enough that you can do something functionally constructive with it. It's really what it boils down to is is the craft craft is is a is a is self help process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a religion that's kind of like a self-help practice with a slightly different way of viewing the world. I don't think I have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's close this up until the next time we have something interesting to chat about. This is your resident wizard, Reverend Wade. And this is librarian in which Cassandra. I'll catch you in the next episode. See ya. <laughs>